When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just started recording. Think false count, whatever. Fuck it. One seventy four. Once I, I never get the, I never get the name right, the the episode number right, or the date. But I think it's one seventy four. I think it's September second, twenty twenty, six oh two p.m. Eastern time. Roger Williams, author of Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which I have beaten into people's minds for the last week. Read this book, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, um, I think you had I think you had at least one taker because I got an email from a totally new reader. Oh yeah, uh, and I think he may have seen your podcast. Oh yeah, did he drop a name? Uh, Do we know? No, but but it was an interesting coincidence if it was otherwise. <laughs> I've I've sent it to a lot of people. I've sent it to friends that I know will legitimately <laughs> enjoy it, and um, yeah. But yeah, we were just talking about uh, we were just talking about technology and ain't it wonderful? I was uh. I was watching something yesterday. I was watching this YouTube channel, Linus Tech Tips. It's like uh it's got like eleven million subscribers. But it just it's all it's all black magic to me. But he's just he's always, you know, just <laughs> tinkering with shit. And I love watching it because I have no idea what's going on. Like I like other history things that I kind of understand, you know, Cold War stuff. But I also I also really like watching channels that I have no idea about. Like I'm just watching it, I'm like, he's speaking in hieroglyphics. But uh he was trying to get an eight. That's, that, that's funny because it's almost exactly the opposite with me. That that my job is making stuff work technologically. Yeah. And uh, then then when I go out to like read about history and to watch like history channel specials and all, it's like, wow, man, that's a bunch of shit I didn't know that was going yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's dude. That's my go-to. Is um, Audible right now? They did something i'm not even gonna go audible's not paying me fuck it i'm not gonna plug audible i've tried to get audible to sponsor me no they can't have it i was gonna give them a no you know what no for everyone listening though it's if you have a if you have a membership to audible it's 15 bucks a month i've probably bought a thousand dollars worth of books over the last three years i listen all day every day but they started something the last week or so that they've they made like ten thousand titles free if you have a membership so i've doubled my library Fuck you, Audible, sponsor me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, point being, yeah, I was watching this guy hook up, like, an 8K, 8K screen, and it just crashed his computer. But, um, yeah, to to just kind of go where we left off, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, I was thinking about, I was thinking about everything we had talked about. I got my brain, got the gears turning, and I began thinking that along the lines of Alan Watts, I was like, is the whole thing is like the whole creation of prime intellect is that just almost like a death jockey contract the whole the idea that they had to build it in the first place like was lawrence was he already in a thing from the get-go like bringing it on you know the assassination attempt the the birth of it was that all i was thinking like what if the whole thing was a contract yeah uh 
my canon as the writer (laughs) is that it wasn't it was actually uh the first iteration but one of the things where i will go into the sequel is that there will be an equally discordant final chapter in the sequel and it will actually set up a situation where uh i'll just say you'll find it real interesting okay um Okay. I don't want to spoil it because it's 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 don't, pretty cool. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. That's one of those things I've I've had in the back of my mind for eighteen years now, yeah. and I can't tell tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just fucking just lay it down. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's what you said last week. You said don't hold your breath for the sequel. You said yeah. you'll be disappointed. Although actually, you know, uh, uh, last week after we talked, uh, a couple of days later, I actually looked back at what I have on Topi for the first time I have in several years. Yeah. Because uh, I had mentioned that I had finished this product project that's been going on for a couple of years on Reddit. Excuse me. And I finally wrapped that up. Uh, but uh, I wanted to take a little break. And then I was I, I told everyone who was reading the curators that what I wanted to do is to take that, that I, now that I've gotten myself back used to writing mm-hmm. uh, and back to the groove, I want to take that energy and take another stab at the sequel to Crime Intellect because it's something I promised a lot of people back in the day. And I think I know how to do it now. But it's just right at the time I figured out how to do it bottom fell out you know corrosion.org finally went dark forever mm-hmm. and i was just like left with like where the hell am i gonna put it yeah. uh and now that's kind of opened back up because I've, I've realized that there are actually quite a few people who know who i am and and are looking or they are waiting so um i realized there is a market for it after all um and there now the prime way to distribute it would probably be through things like epub and kindle rather than posting it on a website somewhere yeah um and uh my wife has gotten the marketing of that sort of thing uh down to an art for her own projects so it's like you uh you showed the copy of the kindle version yeah, of yeah. prime intellect and that was a cover that she made up because she said the cover that i made up with the uh that uh circuit diagram moth that you've probably yeah. seen yeah. makes a terrible thumbnail and she's just like can't use this online it, it, it doesn't thumbnail no it, it doesn't i remember the first time i found it i was like what the fuck is that i thought it was like it almost looked like a word document where you tried to put like images on it and it just came up as boxes i was like i don't even i didn't even know it was a moth i just always thought it was like lines <laughs> but but yeah no that her artwork is awesome that's a beautiful piece um but yeah you don't want to go george rr R. martin on this shit and just you know <laughs> Because isn't the, it? Doesn't he still owe them? Doesn't he still owe the? Oh, he doesn't owe anyone anything. But uh, didn't didn't I've never read any of his books just because I I don't want to start reading something that I don't think is going to be finished. I think he's probably going to die. I just yeah. I, well, he apparently the ending that they glued on to the series is not too far from what he intends to do. But he's admitted that when he starts out on a tangent, he'll take it and you know he, he just follows it wherever he wants to go. And he's at a point in his life where he can do whatever the heck he wants now, which is uh, quite a departure. Because when he first when, when HBO first bought the rights and they did they were doing the first season of Game of Thrones. There was a big thing because my wife is a big fan of his from before Game of Thrones and before he became big. Uh, And he was actually in a dispute with PayPal because he couldn't pay his rent because PayPal had locked his donation account. And he was trying to get them to unlock his funds and they were being PayPal and being dicks about it. So that was like his big thing. 
when HBO is starting to film Game of Thrones. And of course now this is not a problem anymore. No, 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 no. Yeah, now it's yeah. Which revenue stream? Yeah. It's Yeah. Yeah, he's got that but, fuck you money now. But I'll but I'll tell you the uh the books that the the hardcore George R. R. fans who knew him before, we really wish they would make a movie out of Fever Dream oh, or yeah. the Armageddon Rag. Uh, but those weren't epic series. But like Fever Dream is about vampires on riverboats in the 19th century on the Mississippi River. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. Sounds like a Fever and, Dream. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. It's so. Yeah. It. And and in uh, in that in that novel, uh, the the vampires do not turn humans. They're a different species, so they simply coexist. And you know they're like predators who walk among us. But it, it's not like the, the legend where they bite you and you turn into a vampire. But he has the vampires. Some of them that are in the on the evil side of things, using this to enslave humans by promising, if you be my loyal helper and help me out and do stuff for me in the daytime I'll then when the time is ripe i'll turn you yeah and these poor saps are going along with it thinking they're going to live forever and it's like ha 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 yeah, and, yeah. uh the, it was just like he it's, it's all full of stuff like that because martin just does a good job on stuff like that i mean yeah. it's like yeah if you had beings like this they would totally do shit like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing what have you have you do you ever watch the uh the comedy I don't think they're together anymore as like a duo. Key and Peel, they're huge, in like five years. I mean, they have some of the funniest like two minute sketches on YouTube. I mean, it's one of the few things that will like get you like in tears, crying, laughing. And uh, one of them is a uh, is them getting bitten by vampires, but instead of like hanging out in like a dark mansion and it be you know all the sexual like tension, one of the guy one of the vampires is like. Yo, why are we always hanging out in this mansion? Why are we always, like, tickling each other's nipples? Like, why can't we like, turn some lights on in this place, man? He's like, what y'all doing? Like, this is gross. And he's like, two girls, like, all over each other. And they're like, why do you guys always make that noise? They're like, you don't need to. You just open them up. Just open up your fangs. And he's like, we don't need to be this weird sex cult. He's like, I got bit on purpose. So I can, this is my favorite line. I got bit on purpose so I can live forever and see future cars. <laughs> and just like... <laughs> <laughs> and like later on, he was like, "I mean, what would they be? Would they be self-driving? Would they all be maglev? Like, I don't know." But that's why I got bit. <laughs> I want my goddamn flying cars, even yeah. if I have to get bit by a vampire. <laughs> yeah. But it's my favorite. It's like my favorite comedy line. I got bit on purpose so I can live forever and see future cars. <laughs> um, but I love um, my guilty pleasure is like uh, just going down like the rabbit hole conspiracy. Not even like conspiracies that you can like kind of entertain you know where there's like some truth to them my real guilty pleasure is just like the like the room temperature iq just like you know the dumbest shit you can get where it's just like it's just like larping it's role-playing and yeah. uh i had a, a co-worker that's his hobbies he likes to follow dumbass conspiracy theories he's always hitting me with yeah you're the latest reason we didn't go to the moon <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way to go you can't you can't embrace it and be like this is real the way to go is to just admit that this is your guilty pleasure you know some people mm -hmm. watch the kardashians mine is just the fucking half-baked you know 40 part series on youtube each one's like nine hours long <laughs> it's just like yeah why i remember uh 
years and years ago, my wife and I were on a tour with uh, a bunch of other bird watchers. And so this is, you know, we had like maybe 15 people on this, on this tour and most of them are fairly well off. They showed up with $30,000 worth of camera equipment and all. And there was this couple that they had to get the latest copy of the weekly world news. They knew that it came out on Wednesday and it's like, we had to go find a grocery store so they could get their copy of the weekly world news. <laughs> and everybody else was like, are you guys insane? And it's like, no man, have you, it's like, it's, 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 it was just like this. That was, of course, this was like in the nineties. Yeah. So the internet wasn't there. So that if you wanted your conspiracy whack wackadoodle stuff, yeah. that was where you got it. Yeah. Yeah. But Bad that, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but that's my that's my guilty pleasure because the way I look at it is is like, I look at things like Comic Con or something or like um, Harry Potter, and you know I had friends that would always go to the movies and they're all like dressed up, right? Or like um, different like. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, and I have friends that do that, but I can never get into any of those. But it's like in general, there's like a general like you know you like, you don't break character, right? You stay in character, so it's believable for everyone. Yeah. So my idea was like, well, if I start like going into these conspiracy circles online, you don't need to worry about breaking character because everyone they're not in character. This is what they yeah. truly believe. So to me, it's like. You're the ultimate haunted house or something where it's like actually you're kind of the straight man and yeah. they're all of the yeah yeah and i don't and i don't go in there i don't make fun of them i don't point out like the ridiculousness of it i just go on and you know i, I put on my mask and i'm like i'm gonna play along but it's great because no one ever breaks because there's no character to break that's is what they really believe so to me it's like the ultimate role playing so you go into these like forums and shit or subreddits where it's like the lizard people are in the hollow earth and you can just go in and it's just like and it's fantastic it's like the it's the, the <laughs> best writing ever because no one's writing it as like i need to develop the story they actually think they're uncovering this conspiracy so it's like the no one breaks character it's super in-depth there's like a passionate thing about it and it's not even you can read you can message people and they'll, they'll give you the they'll give you the down low on what they think's going on it is that's why I don't have Netflix is because I have found my own <laughs> entertainment go you know not even like the not even like the digestible conspiracies you know what what crashed at Roswell in 1947 you know Gulf of Tonkin you kind of play you know money fixating big banks but that's all you know that's not crazy enough you really want to you really want to buckle up and you go in and you're like all right the lizard people have harnessed free energy and they're sucking the souls out of our children and they're here from the draco star system and it's like fuck yeah get my popcorn let's do this bitch and it's and it's great because it's great because the canon is always growing because it's all based on real life so it's like elon wants to go to mars this is really why so there's always a new episode it's every day it's real life there's a new episode Something's coronavirus. Is it just a pandemic, or is it the gray is trying to get us off the planet? And it's like fuck yes. There's no, there's no shortage of information. If you think rationally, then you're you're an outcast. They kick you out. So it's mm -hmm. just like the game never stops. It's always updated. It has a essentially limitless uh, writing team. The, the, yeah, the, it's endless. Videos, photoshops, it's it's endless. You go in, you can fucking, they'll make up histories for like why Napoleon did this or that. It's just the crazier, the better, and there it, there's no shortage. You can't finish it. There's all, it's an endless game to get lost in. Yeah. 
And the, well, and the whole thing is that the, the handful of people who have a particular theory like that now can find one another over the internet yes. and feed off of one another yes. and it just blows up. Yes. And, and then if you're like me, you can just you can get your movie ticket for free. You just go in one of these forums and just look around. And it's just like it's amazing. It's amazing. If you break character, it doesn't matter. No one else is going to because this is what they believe. And it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. It's, it's yeah. It's the best entertainment. Now, I mean, yeah, a little crazy. So it's but, like having a free pass to P.T. Barnum's museum. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's Six Flags is open twenty four seven, and yeah. But to everyone else, it isn't even a ride. But to you, you're like fuck yeah. Like let's go on this. Like please tell me why George Bush is a reptile. Like let's do it. <laughs> fucking balls deep. Let's go. Um, but. But the idea that I like from it, every once in a while you'll come across an idea that's kind of nifty. And uh, one of the ones I like about it is like, what if the elites are some sort of like immortal beings, right? But they could just shapeshift and just take, so like Napoleon could still be alive, but but it might just be the same entity. They were Genghis Khan, they're Napoleon, they were Obama, now they're Trump, now they're Kissinger. But it's just one you would never know. Like where you know, they die, like you don't see them going in the casket. Like it just whoop, the next thing. It's Yeah. I love that well, idea. Yeah, it's it's funny, because one of uh one of Philip K. Dick's short stories that they haven't actually made into a movie yet, can you imagine? Uh, is uh, set in a dystopic future with you know the usual, you know, authoritarian regime and everything. And the conspiracy theorists the the little cabal at the heart of everything discovers that there are psych uh, that there are uh drugs being put in the in the uh water supply that make you hallucinate and so when they go give people the antidote to the hallucinogens that are in the water supply they see the president of the united states as an alien Except they don't all see him as the same alien. Depending on which group you're in, there are like four or five different forms. And so they're classifying people according to how when they stop taking the hallucinogens, which version of the alien president do they see? And they're trying to work this out. And it's it's deliciously Philip K. Dickian. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like eventually they're going to have made every word the man wrote into a movie. So we're just waiting for that. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. It's, have you seen the movie uh, They Live? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. The put on the glasses and you see just like the fleshy yep. faces, and it's just like they see you. It's, but yeah, yeah. I, I like that idea because I like to entertain it because it makes you can it makes the rest of the insanity a little more believable. You'd be like, okay, because like yeah, you can't really entertain the idea of like the Illuminati otherwise. And this is if you can't tell, I've put a lot of thought into this. Is because they're right, right? <laughs> because they're because their plans are all like they're like centuries long, right? Sometimes millennia long. But oh, yeah. so that would imply that it's like a generational thing, which means that they're working on something that they won't see the end of, which is. Well, I, uh, let, let me hit you with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I usually get ragged on when I mention it in tech circles. OK, because uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, my wife and I had a side business selling uh, semi-precious gemstones and, and little things like that. Sure. And a big segment of our business was the new age community. So mm-hmm. we had to learn a lot of their lore and stuff. And uh, part of that was astrology. And one of the things that I noticed is, is that the Catholic Church 
has a mystical tradition. It's based on the Jewish Kabbalah. And one of the funny things that happened is is the, the Catholics, they kept a lot of that stuff under wraps because for the, the people who were forming the Catholic Church in the fourth and fifth century, this lore was power. This, this, these were secrets. These were like the nuclear codes yeah. of their day. Yeah. And so they didn't want people to know about it. One of the things that they didn't want people to know about was the great year in astrology. Now, I know you've heard the song, The Age of Aquarius. This is the dawning okay, of yeah, the yeah, age yeah. of Aquarius. Okay. What that refers to, of course, is the Earth's axis mm-hmm. precesses yeah, as it precession of you know, every yeah every twenty four thousand mm-hmm. years. At any given yeah. time, the North Pole is nodding toward one of the zodiacal constellations, and this changes about every two thousand years. Now, two thousand years ago, the Great Year switched from the sign Aries to the sign Pisces. That happened right around the time some guy named Jesus Christ. of Nazareth yeah. was having a ministry in Palestine. Okay. So if you know anything about astrological lore, Aries, of course, is an earth sign. It's physical power. It's press. It is a perfect metaphor for the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which projected its presence through strength yeah. and you know military prowess. Pisces is a water sign. It is about feeling and emotion and vulnerability. And Pisces is actually a good descriptor for a certain religion that came about at that time uh, because it's all about your God getting crucified and dying for your sins and being forgiven. And all of these are very waterish type Mm -hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought ever since I learned the symbology that it is obviously not an accident that the early Christians decided to use a fish for yeah. their symbol because that say, was yeah. the new great year. If you yeah. were educated I in the think- first century AD, you would be expected to know this the same way you would be expected to know electricity flows in circuits if you're educated today. It was yeah. something an educated person would know yeah. because the procession of the equinoxes had been discovered like in the 4th century BC. It was well known to the people who had any kind of education. So the church traded on this. To them, this was a great source of their power because this was their a- their aeon, literally, mm-hmm. their their time in the sunlight. Fast forward, though, to the modern era. Okay, we just had, depending upon whose calculations you follow, everybody agrees that the great year has moved from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. Now, Aquarius is an air sign. Aquarius is a sign of thought, Uh, calculation, uh, okay? okay, industry. And... It is impossible to if you if you have any kind of belief in this stuff at all, you look at the transition from the Renaissance to the twentieth century, and it is just friggin' obvious that this yeah. stuff is spot on. Yeah. Now but it so now whether you believe in it yourself or not, ha ha ha, if you take an organization like the Catholic Church, for whom this has been their secret lore for 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and their own magical system is now telling them it's time to shut off the lights and close the curtains because your time is over. Mm-hmm. And and 
All you got to do is take a look at the world. You know who's very Aquarian? Most people don't realize this. Nazis. Oh, yeah. Well, they had the Ananerba <laughs> Society. They had a whole... Yeah. Dude, they were balls deep in the occult. Yeah, and it's their age. This is, you know, because they oh, no. were all about thought and calculation and, and all of this air type stuff, and they were very down on emotion and weakness like that, um, you know? The, so... I'm listening that to a, didn't quite make it into the fifth dimension song. <laughs> I'm listening to this book right now, Blitzed. Oh Drugs yeah, third row. Oh yeah. Oh, the whole thing was powered by methamphetamines. Oh, the entire thing. <laughs> the entire thing was on meth. It's but, like, but yeah, but that. Yeah. But that that was their thing. So so anyway, that if you, but if you look at this from the standpoint of the people who are in the middle of the Catholic Church, whose own lore is now telling them that. Your time in the limelight is over. The baton is being passed. And events in the real world are backing this up in ways that nobody ever expected even a couple of hundred years ago. If you look at some of the kind of strange things the Catholic Church has done in the last 50 years or so, it suddenly snaps into focus that they're trying to carve out a place for themselves in, the in this world okay. that they know they don't belong in anymore. Okay. They're adapting. And okay. The, it's blockbuster. Tri blockbuster should have well, become Netflix. The, yeah. They should have become Netflix. That's what it is. Well, they're hoping that what happens to them isn't what happened to the pagan priests in the fourth century AD okay. and, okay. and field, but that all of their lore is telling them don't hold your breath guys and I, I've just found that was a wonderfully illuminating way to look at things yeah um, I like it. And, and most people don't get it because the other funny thing is that when Pro when the Protestants split off starting with Martin Luther none of them were prominent members of the Vatican and the central church. There were no bishops or anybody with that kind of clout. And so all of these secrets were lost to the Protestants. They didn't take this lore. What they had, what they thought was the big secret is that they read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And before Gutenberg and a few of those guys, it was actually a capital offense to translate the Bible into the vernacular. You were yeah. supposed to be yeah. educated in order to be, you know, you, you know, the Bible was there to be interpreted by a professional. Yeah, it was. That the was the yeah. whole thing. It was the nuclear. That came codes. out of the Council of Nicaea. Mm -hmm. so this idea that any schmo in rural Pakistan can <laughs> open the Bible and start deciding what it means—no, yeah. that's not the way they were looking at yeah. it. And but so when uh, you know the people who came after Martin Luther, that's what they thought the big secret power is, and. But the actual Catholics were like, well, yeah, sure. That's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But they you know, so they but they had the the real secrets. And it was it took people like uh, uh Aleister Crowley mm -hmm. is the reason we know about a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and people don't realize things like that. You know, part of my perspective on on religion was I was raised Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. Now, my parents were from Mississippi. They moved to New Orleans before I was born so my dad could go to college at Tulane University, and he studied physics. Oh, yeah. uh, he was seduced by the Atomic Energy Commission. They sent a van around to his rural school when he was like 12 years old, and his 
he was boggled. He was like, yeah. he wanted to discover new elements and and do all of this fantastic stuff. So he uh, he had really good stores for a rural, you know guy who grew up in Laurel, Laurel Mississippi. Uh, and so he made it. He, he came to New Orleans, the big city, went to a, one of the better universities. And with his wife, they had me. And in New Orleans, if you want your child to have the best secular education, the best chance of getting into the best colleges, you send them to a Catholic school. Yeah. All of all, all of the best schools in the New Orleans area are the Catholic schools. Yeah, that's just the way. Well, I went to it, Catholic always, school in Atlanta. It's just they were. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're just they were just better institutions. Yeah, and, and it's not that way everywhere. In a lot yeah. of places, the parochial schools are there to put a clamp on things and to make sure you there there are no uh, poisonous thoughts being spread. But but here it's more that you know the, the Catholic schools have an arrangement. They have a lot of non-Catholic students. So if you're not Catholic and you want to send your child to Holy Cross, they have an arrangement where you will be ex- you know, you're excused from the mm-hmm, liturgies from and the catechisms yeah. and the yeah. rituals and stuff. Same but you do have to take the half credit religion course every mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and so you have to learn what catholics believe and what the rituals are even if you're not performing them so you find out what the stations of the cross are yep. and what yep. confession is and all the stuff that baptists don't do um and i really think that we would all be better off if more people who called themselves christians had been forced to, to do that because that gave me a perspective about where what were supposedly my beliefs came from sure that it was like they didn't emerge from a vacuum they you know they didn't emerge straight from the pages of the bible there were some human beings doing some interpretation there mm-hmm. and that set the stage for when they did the survey of world religions when i was in 11th grade and it all just imploded it was like i couldn't do the double thing anymore yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. take and, yeah, uh, religions of the world uh, 1005 yeah and, I, and I'm like, you know, so so we had to learn what Buddhists believe, what Hindus believe, no. what mm-hmm. Japanese Shintoists believe and all. And, and, and I'm just like, wait a minute. Yeah. If I had been born in India, yeah. I would believe this just as fervently yeah. as I was taught to believe that. And it's just like, wait a minute. This is you know, <laughs> this is a bunch of guys sitting around deciding this sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh but but yeah, and, and so that gets you. For one thing, it's like 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 you are with the with the conspiracies. It's like it opens you up more to you. You're more open to other beliefs because you're not taking any of them quite so seriously, sure. uh, and and you start to see how things are connected. Uh, now, my dad, uh, who is probably going to watch this. Uh, is a remains a devout Christian. He's also a, a physicist who taught physics for uh, separate, you know, for decades, and he believes that things like evolution and geological time are the tools that God obviously used to create a universe in the form He wanted to see. Sure. And you know, why would He lie about it? That doesn't make any sense. And um, it's a very sensible way to to look at that. Yeah. But oh my God, the people that some of the people we used to go to church with are just like they, they, they went off the edge of the flat earth years yeah, ago. Yeah. Dude, one, uh, one of my and, smartest yeah. friends is a devout he's a physician now. He's a devout Catholic. But he's like, I don't 
He's like, to me, it doesn't infringe on like science at all. He's like, I just look at it as like the language of God. He's like, it's just, it's just, just cause you can, or it's like what Alan Watts said. He's like, science explains mm-hmm. like how it doesn't explain why, but explains how. Yeah. He's like, it doesn't, yeah. Well, you notice yeah. the Catholic Church has been a lot more open to that in the last few years, too. You, you know, to. I Ad- wonder why. Adapt or die. Yeah. Adapt <laughs> or die, man. Adapt or die. You gotta. It's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, does, doesn't the Catholic Church have a, have like a, like a telescope in the acronym yeah. of Lucifer? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know about that, but they do have a, uh, they do have an observatory at the Vatican. I'm pretty sure um, it's. I, I don't think that's even they, a conspiracy. Uh, I think that's just like a head scratcher. Let's see. Uh, they 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 do a number of things that most people wouldn't understand. <laughs> Does the yeah the the lo- the large utility camera, the large utility camera, an integral field unit for extragalactic research, Lucifer. They yeah, you know somebody to, was having a foot. Yeah, you know, they a changed it to Lu- they changed it to Lucy. Yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything I was talking about. But I don't know why I just went into that. But it's yeah. yeah I, I that's another thing I like about like conspiracies. Is is, is it Voltaire that said the, the he had to find out to find out who's in power? Mm-hmm. Simply find you who simply find out who you can't criticize. That, that mm-hmm. was one of his good ones. But another one, I think it was Voltaire. He said, like, the sign of intelligence is the willingness and ability to entertain an idea without necessarily believing it. So not to say, mm-hmm. you know, entertain an idea. You think the earth is hollow. I don't believe that. I have a biology degree. I have, I've, I took all the <laughs> science courses. I have 12 years of private schooling before, before yeah. college. But sure, like I will open yeah. my mind because I do think that that is a valuable thing. Tell me thing. why you think this makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I do think that is a valuable thing to open your mind and say because that allows you to take it in and go, all right, no, I don't believe that. But okay, thank. But that also keeps it open to other things. So whereas you might keep it open and, and you know, here, let me hear your argument for why the earth is hollow or why lizard people run the world. Okay, I don't like it. But that also becomes, but that there is a value in that tool of keeping open to say maybe um let me hear what this this candidate is saying or let me hear what this you know i'm on a date with this woman let's see where this goes who knows maybe you find your your lifelong love because you decided to open up a little more and next thing you know you're like wow and you're just with that person for 50 years or you take on this politics or philosophy or let's say you're an investor very real world like Let's open my mind and see what this new company has to say. Next thing you know, you know, there's your next billionaire. It's so there is value in mm-hmm. in keeping the mind open and you know keeping your email inbox open. You don't have to respond to all of them. You don't have to, you yeah. know. But well, you need a garbage filter. But yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same point, you, at the time you you don't want to hide your address don't, from everybody. Don't so to straw because then you're only taking in what you want to see. And now, and now you're just as bad as the people who are telling you that, God damn it, the earth is flat. It's, you know, you're just yeah. as bad. If you isolate yourself on a little island of belief, it's, that doesn't do anyone any good. But, yeah. Or it doesn't have to be serious. You can just go and read stupid conspiracies like I do, which I love. <laughs> which I love. Full circle. That's the, the idea I love about, like, these eternal, immortal elites is... To me, that gives that makes a little more sense for the lore, 
because right so these this group has been around for thousands of years right the ones that mm-hmm. controlled egypt are the ones that are controlling covid and it's yeah. because if you don't have like an immortal being what you have to have is it's a generational project or scheme mm-hmm. well if it's a generational project or scheme that means these people are clearly working on something and putting chess pieces into place that they know will not they will not see the end of which is yeah. fine that there's like the quote a society goes great when men plant trees whose shade they know they will not sit under but mm-hmm. that's the antithesis of a supposed illuminati group right a bunch of psychopathic narcissists the last thing they're going to do is set up a system for their kids and their grandkids no they're, well, that, that, that's kind of the situation that Robert Anton Wilson set up in the Illuminatus trilogy, uh, which is considered to be like the grand masterpiece of conspiracy theory fiction. Um, I need to read it. It's, uh, yeah, uh, and, and Wilson himself is a really uh, interesting character. Uh, he passed away, I don't know, it's about 10 years ago now. Uh, but he wrote uh, a number of really freaky books, and he was a big champion of not believing anything. His things was that uh, beliefs imprison you, okay. and that you should have a completely you, know, you should have an open mind. You should have filters, but you should also uh, that said once you said once you say I believe a certain thing, that uh, one of the ways he put it was convictions create convicts. Okay. Uh, yeah. Once once you decide that you believe a thing, then that imprisons you. It limits your ability to think about things that contradict that belief, and it limits your willingness to entertain things. So, he would uh, heartily approve of your hobby. Uh, in fact, he was one of the big practice practitioners of it himself. Um, in fact, he's one of the. You know, he he was a big fan of Aleister Crowley's, and uh, he was. Uh, he really loved uh, like uh, literary and word puzzles. And so uh, one of the things he loved was taking apart something uh, like Finnegan's Wake and and just figuring out what all the little word puzzles meant and uh, what the underlying meaning was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he knew all of this occult lore that he had picked up from obscure sources and he wrote some popular books about it. Um, But uh, so it was, you know, through him that I found out about Crowley, and uh, it was like it was one of them. May have been through Crowley. I got to Sod, but uh, you, you you really want to go back, you know, to, to uh, I think uh, the Marquis de Sade was a contemporary of Voltaire's. But of course, I know he was uh, he was there for the French Re- Revolution. Mm-hmm. In fact, Sade was about the only person left in the Bastille when it was liberated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's a, here's a person who really never did a hell of a lot other than write stuff. Who spent more than half his life in prison for it, uh, and he he was just uh, he hated hypocrisy and he saw the world filled with hypocrites who didn't practice what they claimed to believe uh and so he loved to write them into uh ridiculous situations but uh, i know you've heard of uh 
a modest proposal as being like the best satire ever written. But Saad wrote one called Yet Another Effort, Frenchman, If We Would Become Republicans. And it was originally a pamphlet, but it was uh, today, if you want to read it, you have to get philosophy in the bedroom. And it's in the middle of the book as a pamphlet the characters read. And it's it's a pamphlet he published right after the French Revolution. And it starts out with if we're going to do this Republican thing, you know, this 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 Republic thing, we need to do it right. You know, we uh, we, we need to go all the way. Mm-hmm. And he starts by saying the first thing we have to do is get rid of religion. And of course, this would have been a popular viewpoint in the years right after the French Revolution. So he goes down a bunch of arguments that seem kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with them. Okay, if you if you're on, on that side of the political spectrum. And then he goes about, and then we had to ditch the monarchy, which of course was also a very popular idea to, for his audience at the time. But then he starts going about how we need to legalize theft because what is theft but a man taking advantage of his natural capability to enrich himself because someone else wasn't paying attention. You know, I mean, yeah. this is a natural thing. People are going to yeah. do it. Why make it illegal? Yeah. And he goes down and the next thing he's, he's you know, in, the next, in the next few pages, he's arguing that we need to legalize rape and then murder and to this day there are people who argue about whether he was being serious or not because he's a martina sans <laughs> but it, it yeah I, but i always think about like cheating in like sports i think that's part of the game i think steroids i think that's part of the game are you smart enough to yeah. are you dumb enough to be like i'm not gonna take anything or it's like you're going for the super bowl yeah you're gonna a, a truly yeah. the, the most fit in the evolutionary term fit you know fit mm-hmm. is the one that would say i never take anything but meanwhile they're using their bankroll to find like an untraceable hgh that is the most <laughs> fit player the most fit players the one that is lies on one face and then they do it in the background cheating is just part of the game if you get caught there's a severe yeah. penalty you know well, and part of it is that we don't want to admit to ourselves as a, as a society that this is our version of the gladiatorial games. Yeah. They did a survey of professional athletes a long time ago. It may have even been back in the 80s, but I, I remember it well, where they, they, they asked a bunch of professional athletes if there was a drug that would – with total certainty make you a champion that would make you number one in your field if you took it but it would also kill you within five years would you take it and some ridiculous like 80 percent of them said yes yeah i would take that i would i would do that yeah and 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 that's one of the it's like we have this elaborate fiction that things like nfl football aren't us sitting there watching people killing themselves. Yeah. Whereas even if you discount the concussion thing, an NFL football player's life expectancy is like 20 years less than the rest of us. Oh, yeah. Even without concussions, they, just that, that yeah, constant even without, I mean, just, jerking I mean, just, motion. Just they, you know, they, they retire at 40 and they're a wreck. Yeah, they can't uh, walk, so they can't it, think. It's, it's gladiators. Uh, MMA, just beating each other's heads in with elbows. But I mean, but that's kind of the payoff, though, is like you're going to die, but it's like we're all going to die. Do you want to, haha, I made it to 80, but I can't walk. I'm incontinent and I don't know who I am. Or it's like you die, yeah. you die at 40, but goddamn, you get to go out the champion. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and everyone was watching me on TV. Yeah. And, and I'm, you, know. you, you get, you're going to die. At least they got to experience like Valhalla while they lived. Yeah. Is that better? I don't know. It's, I, 
I don't know. Is it better to live till 90 and just die slowly? Or is it better to you go out at, you know, you're 27, yeah. but you go out as Kurt Cobain or Avicii or Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> you're immortal. Yeah. You're Kobe, right? It's, I don't know. I don't one, know. One of my coworkers who uh, just hit 40 said that when he was younger, his, his, his byline was, uh, live fast live hard and leave a pretty co- uh, and leave a pretty corpse and uh and he said about the time he started to get close to 40 he realized that that wasn't working so well for him anymore <laughs> yeah well, well that's that's the that's the kind of yeah the duality of it is it's a great mindset but you have to have it while you're young it's like you yeah. got to embrace that while you're young if you just so happen to live through it yeah, you're getting into yeah it's now like uh, i'm 30 now I'm yeah, like, okay. Every every culture has had its niche for people like that. Yeah. And it's kind of silly that we try to deny that that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, live fast, die young. I'm trying to connect to my phone. Internet just got a little fucky. But it's not, whatever. Um, but yeah, it is. I mean, but there is, there's, a, there's like an odd romanticism to it, though. Right? Like the, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Who was it? Mac Miller that died a couple of years ago. Young rapper, twenty-seven. They're like, there's a lot of romanticism to it. Worth fifty million dollars, baller. He's like a young Eminem, and you're gone oh, before you're. The connection uh, is starting to do the thing you were yeah, worried about. Yeah. Damn. Hold on. Let's see. Um. Hot spot. Hot spot. Come on. Come on, you stupid fucking phone. Hotspot, personal hotspot. Let's see. Set up. Well, we made it almost an hour. No, we will not die. God damn it! Don't die on me. Why? Why isn't it working? Normally, it lets me set it up. Hotspot. Just fucking do it. God damn it! Just fucking. Can you hear me? Are we good right now? Roger. The screen resolution just changed. Are we good? No. Sorry for everyone listening. I'm uh trying to figure this shit out yeah i think it may have stopped buffering quite as much okay hold on. of course you're not moving very much so i can't tell whether it's frozen <laughs> uh, let's see. yeah yeah that's a, but that's that seems to be smoother to, it's better now is the the audio was also starting to stutter before is it is it good now though yeah so far it sounds good, uh, okay. a lot better yeah i don't know why but it, it, it still didn't connect i don't know why it's uh, maybe we just let the buffers flush. Maybe. Fuck it. Let's just not ruin it. Let's not touch it. Let's not. <laughs> it's. <laughs> hey, man, this is my. It's still jo- working. This is my George R. R. Martin. This is my I can't pay rent because PayPal. This is. Did you know when Tommy was younger, the early podcast, they'd have to cut it off because they couldn't find a hotspot. That's my moment. Well, that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> this is my moment. This is. That's that's one thing I've helped. I have a friend of mine. I have two other friends who are kind of going on the same, like, insane journey. Like, I turned down a med school acceptance to well, do a lot of things, but this is the most recent iteration. I had a friend named Aaron who did a full year of medical school and then quit, and now he's building telekinetic robots. He's doing shit with NASA. <laughs> I have another friend named uh, Warren who's been on this podcast, and he did an internship at JPL and NASA, and he got, has, a, like, an aerospace engineering degree from Georgia Tech. But he turned down all these jobs, and he's making a microsat, a microsatellite called MemeSat. And all it does is beam back memes. 
but he's managed to <laughs> yeah i know right you can submit your own memes and he's but he's actually managed to acquire like forty thousand dollars in funding from all these different industries he got in touch with uh one of the chief technical officers at spacex he's and but we always we us three talk about we're like we got to just look at what we're doing right now is like it's our it's the superhero origin story no superhero is just like now i'm the superhero something horrible always happens first and then they become the superhero so that's what's keeping us in check i mean it might just be like a group denial a group delusion hey this is our superhero story meanwhile our lives are just collapsing around us but <laughs> that's the way i look at it so fuck it this poor internet it's my origin story but um yeah there's a but i don't even know what we we're talking whatever illuminati yeah if you could live forever you would have people that set up thousand year plans right slow because yeah. china has a hundred year plan they have a hundred year plan to pass uh us by 2049 and it's slow it's meticulous decade-long moves just moving the yeah. chess pieces well if you think about it too the egyptians had uh kind of that viewpoint when they're they're building pyramids yeah. and sarcophagi and doing mummies and stuff like that um that my dad is taking an online uh, or a video course right now on Egyptian hieroglyphics, and he pointed out that uh, in the to, to the ancient Egyptians that the surest way to be immortal was to be a scribe, because you would live as long as anything you had written. And uh, said so they might steal the mummy from your tomb, but if you were a scribe, then as long as your writing survived, then you were still your alive. mark was on the world. That was you had a presence. That, that is true. In a sense, if you put anything online now, if you broadcast anything, in a sense you're eternal, because all the aren't the radio frequencies aren't they just going out at the speed of the light from Earth? Mm-hmm. Like right now, Hitler's speeches are 85 light years yeah. away. Yeah, I too saw the opening credits to Contact. Fuck you. <laughs> God damn it. And as soon as Ro- I said it, you knew. <laughs> Roger one, Tommy zero. Touche, sir. Point. But um, <laughs> that was brutal. Fucking kick you off my podcast right now. But um. <laughs> Yeah, Every it's, once in a while I get one in. Yeah, hey, you, you got to get him when you can, man. You got to – he saw the opening and he took it. You just – it's Jurassic Park. Yeah, Fuck. you know what they say about old age and skill versus youth and idealism or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> although, although I got a lot of room to talk. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, I'm still a glorified service technician, yeah. so hey. You know. It's like uh, the Jurassic Park lines. Son of a bitch did it. That crazy son of a bitch did it. Yeah, <laughs> but – yeah, I like to think about that though, because when you, if you look at it that way, you can kind of like embrace these ideas more. Like, okay, like, all right, there's like, I don't know how to like, but it'd be like gradual things. Like, you know, the lore of like the Illuminati is there's like a hundred year plan right now to increase urbanization so you can get everyone in one place much easier to control, right? And then part of the lore is like, there will be a pandemic to reduce the Earth's population by 80% right and it's it would only make sense if you looked at it from the viewpoint of like a multi-thousand year being yeah. well of course part of it is that even in a time scale of a hundred years we're crap at planning for the future so i mean even if if you uh, if you lived longer than you know 
What did you do? I'd, there is a there was a guy uh, named Tom Rainbow who wrote for Isaac Asimov's science fiction magazine in the 80s. And he, he generally did nonfiction articles. Uh, he was one of the very first people who had a graduate degree in physics and was going for uh, an MD on top of that so that he could study the way that physical systems and biological, you know, the biological systems acted like physical systems. Mm-hmm. The, you know, that kind of, kind of interdisciplinary thing is more common nowadays, but then he was like at the vanguard of it. And uh, he wrote this article on superintelligence. And what was funny is it was Isaac Asimov Science Fiction Magazine and the illustrator illustrated the story with a photorealistic likeness of Dr. Asimov himself, <laughs> about which there was a letter in the, to the editors from Asimov in the next episode, <laughs> the next issue. But one of the things he pointed out is like, even if I had a super brain the size of a planet, I would probably use it to sort my baseball card collection. And I would like memorize all the sports scores and yeah. you know i i wouldn't necessarily be using it to make the world a better place i'm not, you know it, it was an interesting perspective there too it's like if you had those abilities would you, you yeah. there's a this there's an assumption that a lot of people make that you would of course use them for either good or evil or something something big you know yeah. and you know even when we do have ability i mean look at all the people who have you know you don't even want to know what test score, my, my test scores are. And it's like, you know, I'm not out flying the Hubble telescope and shit like that. It just didn't work out that way. Uh, and for most people, it doesn't. It, it, it's because that's a whole rat race into itself. And, and it's not just skill. It's also politics. And sometimes you just, you know, you get to the top of that hill and you see the next one and it's just like, Man. Fuck this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna put it, put out the picnic blanket right here. You know? Yeah, it's like this is fine. This I'm is good. fine. What's the next uh, mountain up? Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's and I noticed that you didn't uh, ask about what I do in the real world. You know, the my version of the uh, thing that pays the bills and all that. Uh, and since the mid eighties, I, I started out as a service technician and I basically design industrial control systems. Oh, yeah. So you know, mostly for things that involve weighing and measurement. I, I work for a company that was originally just sold industrial scales. And so, uh, in the beginning, no one knew a computer from a hole in the ground. I was the guy who came out to fix your scale and I wore green dickies. And, uh, over time, the fact that I could program computers became more and more useful and my job description morphed and, Today, I'm the guy they come to. If we, uh, we got a customer, he wants to weigh trucks in and out, and he needs to collect some data, and he needs to generate a report and send it to his mainframe. And, and so I figure out how to make all that work, pick the equipment, write the software that's necessary. But I'm a one-man shop. I don't do enterprise stuff and the big databases and all. I'll do front ends for them, or someone else tells me we want to import a file with some data in it, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it to them. But I'm there doing, like, the actual machinery. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're you're filling bags or you're doing batches to do recipes in a food pro- plant where you're you're doing uh, stuff that you know has different ingredients that people are going to buy that you're going to cook later in another part of the process, and and so I do the systems that do things like that. That mm-hmm. you know, and it's not sexy uh, and, and glamorous, and I'm not changing the world. But on the other hand, it is a near certainty that you have eaten something that was 
passed over a machine that I programmed. Uh, at awesome. one point, almost every catfish sold in the United States went across a sorting machine that I would have designed. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's awesome. li- but it's little things like that that are also the grease that makes the world work. Yeah. If, if you didn't have those things, then the people like Lawrence building the seed AI of the singularity wouldn't be anywhere. No. It's, where's, where, where's he without the guy that's registering the lithographic masks for the chip forming process? Yes. Yeah. Well, what, um, you, what you said is it's not – you said it's, it's also the little things that kind of grease the world. I wouldn't say it's also. I would say it's almost entirely. Like you have some movers and shakers every century, but I mean the vast, vast majority of it is Elon's got a great a lot of great ideas. He's not operating the crane inside of a Tesla factory. It's I would right. say it's okay, I can talk into this and I can find guests. I have no idea how to build a computer. And even those that designed it have no idea to how to refine the ore that or the or the fucking um the compounds, the polycarbonates that are melted together and how to make the keys and the neon lights in the background and how to get the right dyes and I have no idea how to do mm-hmm. that. It's it's like right now. Oh, now it, nowadays they don't even know how all the software works. No. I mean there's so many pieces written by so many different people and entities that have to work together. And when they don't for some reason, there's nobody that you can go to say, well, oh, yeah, sure. This is the problem with this API over here. I mean I, I'm doing crap like that all day long. And yeah, yeah it, it's – yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot. Half of my half of my job, I say, the bane of my life is other people's software. It's like if I never had to deal with anyone else's software, my job would be so much easier. Yeah. Um, because you're you're not just figuring out how the computer works. You're figuring out what this other guy did, who maybe didn't have such a good idea how the computer works and didn't do something the way you would have done it. Yeah. And you've got to figure out how he did the thing that's not acting the way you want and how to work around it and get it to do what you actually want it to do, if you even can. So. Yeah, that and that's an interesting thing too. Is that as the world gets more complicated, so much of our industry is being diverted to bullshit like that. Yeah, because stuff uh, used to. I mean, it used to be that you know the Commodore sixty four and the Apple two and uh, those machines were essentially designed by a few people. And they they could all walk into each other's offices and discuss their ideas and make sure everything was working together. But starting in the early 80s, you had, of course, the IBM PC, but there was also machines like the Coleco Atom. People don't realize how complex it was, which are made of all of these subsets, uh, which are supposed to work together through interfaces that are just defined as standards and you're not supposed to worry about the thing on the other side of that interface. Mm -hmm. And I've always called bullshit on that because my idea is that if you don't know how that thing works, then it is going to stab you in the fucking heart one day and you are not going to have any idea what happened. (laughs) You are just going to be there bleeding while your customer goes, can't you make it work? (laughs) Um, And, and, uh, but but that's not the way companies think. That's not the way designers think anymore. And just a little thing like this tablet has so many systems. It's like when Skype decides to maximize itself. Oh, that sounded like a good idea when they wrote the program. Yeah. Highest resolution. And, yeah. Yeah. And my computer goes. Ah. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, 
it's I think it was Joe Rogan. I remember this quote that I always remember. It's on some podcast years ago. It wasn't even a notable guest, but I just remember him saying, "Does anyone even know how to build a TV today?" And he goes, "But I like think I, he's like take that question literally, like break it down verbally. Mm-hmm. Does anyone, does anyone know how to build a computer or a, a TV?" No. There, there is no. actually a web ring which tells you how old the group is for people who built their own CPUs. Oh, yeah. And there's about 40 pages on the web ring. Uh, there's a guy who built a fully functional 16-bit CPU out of relays. It took him like 400 relays. Uh, and he has this enormous cabinet set that he, he takes to, to shows and stuff and where you can see all the blinking lights because all the relays have little things and you hear it clacking. It works at about 10 cycles per second. Um, there's there's people who've done it at, with, with uh, transit. In fact, you can buy a kit for a uh, MOS 6502 microprocessor, the same processor that ran the Apple II and the Commodore 64, only it's made with discrete transistors. It's a circuit board that's about that big. Uh, and it's got like 5,000 transistors on it. Uh, so, and, and, and then when you read about these guys, though, it's like they lost the plans for the 6502. No one knew how it worked anymore. And starting in the early aughts, there is a group that started uh, taking the chips apart and using dye and acids and stuff to wear uh, to take the layers off one at a time and photographing them with microscopes and then building a physical emulation of the silicon as they found it in order to figure out how the chip worked Jeez. because when these chips when the, the 6502 and the z80 in particular were designed by engineers who didn't even build a circuit diagram they built the chip in the form of the of the the blowed up lithographs that would be used to expose the silicon in order to form the layers. So they were sitting here drawing the bottom layer, the end of the p-dope layer, the metal layer, and all, and building transistors one at a time in this by hand Jesus. to make a microprocessor. And you look at that in modern terms, it's like, okay, well, uh. Yeah, someone also wrote Moby Dick out longhand too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that either. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's like Herman Melville. Yeah, is, don't they like not have the plans for the um, the engines that were used on the Apollo on the Saturn V, the F one engines? They don't they not know yeah, how to they, build they them? Don't, that that's one of the bits of lore that I, I I'm somewhat familiar with too. In fact, one of the reasons that uh, I think it was Elon Musk wanted to fish the Apollo engines up from the bottom of the Atlantic Bezos. was to compare the to compare the engines that flew with the diagrams and stuff that we have because it was all done with pencil and paper and the actual you know the, the best documentation we have doesn't necessarily conform to what flew. Yeah. Uh, the same thing is true of the uh, the flight computers, the the computers that ran the the uh, the LAM and the uh, the CSU. The they have different versions, and I know there's a group that has one that they've been trying to get working again, 
and they're all you know it's like well we have this version of the rom and oh how's this for programming yeah they they used iron core memory which means that you have basically a sheet of wires you've got a grid they go vertically they go horizontally two of them go through each of these magnetic donuts and then there is one or two sense wires that go through all of the donuts in a back and forth pattern. And in the Apollo computer, if you look at a computer, like the, the first computer I ever had access to was in my dad's lab. It was an HP 2100 mini computer. And it had the core plane memory. They were about like that big and you could hold them up to the light. And they were all, the, but the ones, what they did in the, in the Apollo computers is they, 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 the Japanese ladies, folded all this stuff up and wired them in. And some of them actually had patterns wired into them. There were, there were uh, little donuts that were either there or missing to, to program a zero or a one into the program. And they would, they would form this thing and they would test it and then they would fold it up and they would have a folding diagram of exactly how they would fold it up to fit in this little box that would then be plugged in <laughs> and they would pot it in epoxy. And so now they've got this thing that was built like this in the 1960s and they're trying to get it to work again and they find out it's got a broken wire in the middle of this thing so you can't do anything with that um but but then they've got the you know they've got the the lot one and the lot two and uh there's a person named fran blanche who has a youtube channel who uh has been doing a lot of reconstruction on uh, apollo stuff she's she's got a lot of tech stuff um She's she's uh, she's also a uh, male to female trans, which is another interesting aspect. But uh, you know, she she's she's done a, a lot of stuff with NASA and some of the classic stuff, uh, and she's uh, uh, vlogged it. Um, but that was one of the things was was figuring out exactly how like the the display unit, the disky. Uh, worked said so everybody and their brother and their dog has done a, a disky, uh, you know, you, you just put in a bunch of LEDs and everything, but they didn't have LEDs in 1968. Mm-hmm. So the disky units that actually flew are electroluminescent. I don't know if you've ever seen these night lights that are just like this greenish flat yeah. thing yeah, 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 that yeah. glow when you plug it in. Well, that's electroluminescent. They take about 100 volts to glow with that greenish glow. Mm-hmm. And that's how the disky display that actually flew in Apollo worked. And the problem is they didn't have transistors in 1968 that could switch 100 volts. So they were driven by relays. And they had this module that was like, you know, the size of maybe a I don't know, a softball that was just packed with relays. (laughs) And that was the driver for the electroluminescent segments of the disky display. And one of the things Fran wanted to do was to actually build a a faithful replica that worked the same way as the actual flight hardware. And to do this, she actually went to NASA and they uh, let her take apart some of the stuff that's in storage uh, to do archival work on it and everything. And it's fascinating the lengths that they had to go through to do stuff that we completely take for granted today. Um, The, the, uh, 
the the lengths that they went to it's like they sucked up the entire world's supply of integrated circuits for five years this was the hot new product in the late 60s and early 70s and ordinary industry couldn't get them i remember when all of a sudden like in 1973 you you could go to radio shack and buy an integrated circuit and you know before it was stuff that you, you just read it and the reason was that nasa had been buying all of them they, they were... <laughs> there was like a there was a summer in the 60s where like you couldn't get bug spray or something and it was because that was an active it was one of the compounds used to make the flight or to make the fuel for the uh, the U2 spy plane maybe it was the 50s there was a summer where you couldn't uh, get it because they're they're up in the they're yeah. up in the number and they're up in the frequency of flights and they needed all of it <laughs> just, just yeah. no bug spray sorry sucks to suck we got to spy on the commies it's yeah it's, Got, 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 got to keep the titanium lubricated or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taking all the titanium from the Soviet Union. Yeah, it's. It, but it makes it sometimes makes me think. Like, do you think that? Do you think that there's just a prosaic explanation for why like the pyramids are so complex? Is it just like a? Is it just like an Apple II computer or a like? It's just no one knows. Well, you know they they know some uh, things about it. It's like they know. Uh, there was a, a, a point in time where the Egyptians learned to build steeper pyramids. And uh, there's actually a pyramid that starts with one slope and finishes with a shallower slope because it was about to collapse. And then there's a guy whose name that they know because the Egyptians made him a god who figured out how to build the what they call the modern pyramids. And so it's like there are hieroglyphs that show this guy. and you know to, to tell the the story about how he taught us how to make real pyramids that are that are that are good so it's like they know that the egyptians actually had a technology uh but the, the funny thing there is the relationship that the ancients had to technology is so different than ours because they had you know in in some senses they had very advanced things you know it's like you had the, the Greeks had rudimentary steam engines and and other things that might have pointed the way toward more advanced technology, and they considered them curiosities. They weren't mm -hmm. worth, you know, they they used them to open a temple door or something. Yeah. But they, you know, as far as you know, using it to actually do meaningful work in an industrial type of way simply didn't occur to them. Uh, that's 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 not what this stuff is for, and that's strikingly how things went one of the reasons we don't have any idea how a lot of the great roman architectural and engineering works were done is that the romans considered considered writing to be sacred because let's face it if you write something down you're immortal they got yeah. that from the egyptians yeah and so these these assholes design you know they're building us an aqueduct they don't need that you know it's like they hand their knowledge down from you know you know in the uh, oral tradition and that was fine until their empire fell and all that knowledge was lost. Yeah. And so now we look at these things and go, how the hell did they know how to put, how many pipes to put in this siphon? Yeah. You know, and it's like, we can guess at it, but there was once a whole robust infrastructure there of how to build domes and aqueducts and all this stuff. And it wasn't considered worthy of being memorialized in a robust way. That's so, yeah, 
and of course that today we have a fetish for writing everything down yeah but yeah that really didn't exist until the renaissance uh that that whole tradition of publication and the scientific method and all didn't exist before the 17th century for the most part and so you had a, a lot of innovative stuff going on. Uh, Michael Crichton wrote an essay about how he wrote um, his time travel story, which is on the tip of my tongue. But but he pointed out he's like he had his people going back to the 14th century because it was a very interesting time. A lot of interesting things were happening. People mm-hmm. were coming up with new designs to power mills, and they were coming up with new war machines. Um, and uh, one of the things that I happened to mention in the curators is that, you know, the aliens are doing a study of human technology because it's so different from everyone else's. And I had one of the aliens mention that, you know, uh, a lot of your people seem to think that it was war machines that drove your technology, but it was really the fact that you need cloth. Because one of the things I have in the story is that aliens don't, none of the aliens wear clothes. That's a human okay. fetish. And so because humans needed so much cloth, we developed these intricate looms and these machines for creating massive amounts of high quality cloth and no one else in the galaxy has this stuff so so that really if you look at it we were making cloth by advanced industrial techniques when we were still making guns by hand as 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 handicrafts okay you know you know the interchangeable parts were like they didn't come along till the american method of manufacture and uh that that was like in the late 1700s so the you you had but, but meanwhile you got people doing punch card looms to make patterns yeah so, so that was that was a whole thing and and you know but again you know what sex it's, it's like you know you think about sail we're, we're gonna storm this castle and we're gonna defend this thing and we're gonna be killing people and you know, so, and it's like no you know the, the real high tech is over in the mill where they're making man they're making some really fine pitch 300 count sheets they're making you know? some <laughs> great robes over there it's yeah, it's like that quote, yeah, war is the engine of progress. But it's like, actually, no, wardrobe is the engine of progress. You left out drobe. It's simple mistake. But, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, I always think of that as, like, these weird things that are, it's like, um, was it Marshall McLuhan? The humans are the sex organs of the machine world. It's, it's... It's a weird thing. It does kind of seem like we're bringing in, like almost like prime intellect. Like you don't just create prime intellect. There's like a hundred years leading up to it, of computers, silicon, mm-hmm. electricity, batteries. It seems like, or another way of looking at it is yeah. like, the the caterpillar doesn't know what it's doing when it's forming the cocoon. It's like right now we're, yeah, well, we are quite literally wrapping the world in fiber optics and uh, copper and. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like Carolyn tells Lawrence at the beginning of chapter eight, look around. You're not going to be building any self-aware computers here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's you. All those giants whose shoulders you were standing on poof went poof. So it's like, yeah, let's go camping. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's you only yeah, you can only do so much. But but when you look at it that way, it's almost kind of weird at like how unintelligent we are. You realize you're like, you're not necessarily more intelligent than Bob from 1400, 
uh, you you just we, there's like there's a school structure there's pen and paper there's like tv there's you know audiobooks but like you personally yeah. like you're the same homo sapien you're not some elite yeah. no you just you got more fertile yeah. ground there's a, a one of the points that i made in one of the side essays uh when I published it, I had four side essays about the background of the story. And I pointed out that primitive technology doesn't have an end game. It's an endless procession of things that you make and wear out and use up. So you make a bowl, but you're making it out of leather or out of uh, grass or whatever. You're, it's, it's not going to last forever. And you don't expect it to. Uh, if you make an atlatl or if you make a bow and arrow or you make arrows, you make any of these tools, you use them up. You've got to be able to make more. And they also require skill. So you spend your time to learn how to use them, how to hunt successfully. But then you get old and you can't do it anymore. So what do you spend your senescent years doing? Telling Junior how to do it. Yeah. And uh, so – you know, you don't reach an end game where you've made this thing and everyone can sit back and smoke a cigar and go, okay, that's done. Because either you're need, you need a certain skill to do it or, you, or you're going to use it up or you're going to wear it out and you're going to need it again. And so primitive life is a continuous process. It can go on like that in very similar pattern for hundreds of thousands of years, changing very little because it's – you know. An innovation might be something that happens once in 10,000 years. Someone yeah. figures out how to, how to build a fire bow and then everything changes. Yeah. But we're, so, we're used to a world that when you're 50 years old doesn't look anything like the world you lived in when you were 20 years old. Yeah. So it's, it's – I'll show you one of, one of my, my secret uh, things. Let's see. What is that? Okay, looks like a little. What is it, like a model city? No, I can't see. Is it? What is it? Recognize these? Hold it up more, farther up. No, I don't. What is it? These are vacuum tubes. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> My God! I own about I own about four hundred of them. Uh, this, uh, yeah, I have a collection. Uh, and the thing about vacuum tubes is you can look at them. They're products of human craft. I can tell this is a dual triode power tube. And I can tell that by looking into the glass and seeing the, the form of the interior constructions. They're at human scale. Uh, the uh, Let's see. Oh, that is a magic eye tube. Okay. Uh, it would be mounted just like I'm holding it here out in the front of a radio set and it would glow and there would be a little sliver of light that would get wider or narrower depending on how your tuning of your station is going. And all of these things, uh, there, there used to be, uh, when, when I first was learning electronics, there were transistors, but they were very rare and esoteric and not very uh not very good really they they couldn't switch high voltages they couldn't handle large currents they couldn't handle high speed free uh signals so these glass things were in everything if you owned a television set 
in the late 60s, it would, you know, you know that sign on the back of your TV set that says no user serviceable parts inside? Mm -hmm. The reason that's there is there used to be user serviceable parts inside your TV set. If it went out, you would open it up and there would be about a dozen of these things in a typical television set. And you would take them, you would remember where they were plugged in and you would haul them all down to the drugstore where they would have a tube tester. Mm -hmm. And you would, you would look at the number and program it into the thing and plug it into the tube tester. And it would tell you whether the tube was within spec or not. And if you found a bad one, you would go to the counter and a typical drugstore would have a collection of new tubes behind the counter for people who are doing this. That's and if it was really unusual, you might have to order it. But for the most part, uh, there was a probably about 100, 150 models of tube that were most consumer electronics were based on uh, at any given time. They changed a little over the years. Uh, in the late going, you had these guys. This is called a miniature tube, and you can see it's got a glass base mm -hmm. with the metal pins just sticking straight out of the glass, mm -hmm. and it's very small. Uh, in fact, this is a triple triode. Okay. It actually contains three amplifying elements okay. in this small glass envelope, as as opposed to, uh, I don't have any of the real awkward large ones here. Um, okay. This is, this is a beam pentode. This was the tube that would be in your television set to make the beam go back and forth horizontally, okay. which took a lot of current at 15 kilohertz. And a lot of people built ham radio transmitters with these okay. as the final output tube. So I don't have any of the more interesting ones. I have a couple of transmitting tubes that they're in the living room. Uh, but yeah, that's so that's that's my little vice there. It's, you know, some people collect. And it's it's it's, hip, it's hypnotizing watching you talk about it because it's all black magic to me. So it's like looking at yeah. like oh, magic. This first one that I showed you is is typical of an older tube. This is an octal base, and okay. as you can see, the the wires coming out of the glass envelope. Oh, let me get this right here. There you go. Uh, they go into these formed pins, and they're soldered. So. Uh, this is an older style that would have been more typical in the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, the glass-based tubes were more late 50s, uh, 60s, and onward. And the really old ones, before they had these octal tubes, I don't have any of the, the other ones. Uh, they had, the original tubes had four-pin bases, and then they had some six-pin bases, um, as the, the one of the things that they learned over the years was to put more elements in the tube. The the original vacuum tube had two elements, and the only thing it would do uh, is act as a detector. Because uh, what Thomas Edison actually figured out it was the Edison effect uh, was that it would conduct current in one direction but not the other. Okay. Uh, so if you hooked up the negative lead to the filament of a light bulb and the positive lead to the a plate that was suspended in the tube with it, it would conduct current. But if you switch the leads, if you put the negative lead on the plate and the positive on the, on the filament, no current would flow. Mm -hmm. And Edison, in one of the more un-Edison things of his life, decided that this was completely useless and he patented it and then didn't use it for anything. Um, 
and it was uh i want to say i don't think it was armed it wasn't marconi might have been armstrong who figured out that it would make a much better radio detector than the crystals that they were using which were all finicky and all but like when the titanic sank it had glass tube detectors but in the early days in the the late teens early 20s uh they had what they called bright emitters it was literally like a light bulb it burned huge amounts of current and lit up the radio shack because in order to get enough current to flow you had to get that tungsten filament really hot mm-hmm. and in the early 20s they learned to make what they called dull emitters they they uh coated the filament with thorium and that caused it to make plenty of uh, electrons at lower temperatures so they didn't have to burn as hot and that was the beginning of home electronics that was really when it became practical to have a radio in your house which was an unheard of thing before 1922 or so Um, and and yeah that whole history of of the early thing really I find it fascinating because you don't yeah you gotta realize it's like there are people walking around today who remember this time you know it's like they remember dad taking a battery to the auto shop to charge it so that they could come home and listen to the radio yeah because that was how it was powered <laughs> yeah my my, uh, my ex-girlfriend uh, her grandfather passed away in 2015 at 100 years old and he remembers he remembers when they put in like power lines and electricity and it's just uh, yeah he was 30 when world war ii ended and it's just like and he was lucid lucid up until the end so it was just crazy yeah. talking to him because it wasn't like you know kind of like you know like you're you know cognitively declined or it's very like yeah, yeah his physical systems were going but like you'd sit there and talk to him it was just like talking to you or me he had to speak up right he talked a little slower but yeah. i mean he was a hundred percent there I remember it was like he was like watching like the news and he'd be like comparing them. It wasn't like, well, what I grew up, Reagan did. He'd talk about, he'd be like, this guy's nothing like Truman. And you'd be like, holy fuck. You actually just, and that wasn't just remember, like, a, you remember, actually remember, remember you were Truman. 30. It wasn't just like you were, he was my age when he was like, God damn, the war's over. And then he was like alive and it was like, Snapchat was two years old. It was like, <laughs> There's, I remember hearing somewhere is like um, this guy talking about his grandmom, and she was like she was born in like post Civil War like Reconstruction South, and her son worked on the lunar lander. Mm-hmm. To me, that is like, hold on, <laughs> post Reconstruction, post Civil War South, and you saw like one small step for man. That has yeah. got to be. I mean, what the fuck? My best friend from high school, his father worked on the fuel pumps for the Saturn V for the for the main F1 engines, uh, and uh, he was so broken up when the program ended. He fell ill and he died shortly thereafter, and Jesus. leaving you know, my uh, my friend without a father. Damn. But yeah, he, that was they. What it is is his team practically killed themselves trying to get the next contract after the the Apollo program was canceled and they were trying to get the the project for the the shuttle which was the next thing coming and they didn't get the bid yeah so but but yeah i remember the 
moon landing myself. Really? Uh, I was about five years old. So Jesus. Yeah. So, so I, re- I remember when humans had never walked on the moon. And that's, that's weird. That is <laughs> insane. My mom was five, four. She remembers her mom crying because John Kennedy was killed. But she didn't know why. But she says she vividly just remembers her mom crying. Yeah, That's my insane. wife, my wife remembers the Kennedy assassination and the Cuban Missile Crisis. I uh, missed, I missed both by about a year. I was, I was not born yet. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's my earliest memory. Why? Well, it's not of anything important. I just kind of remember like walking, like pulling a, like a train on a string. Um, I remember. I want to say I remember. Let's see. I was in I was in fifth grade. I remember nine eleven. I, I remember nine eleven pretty pretty well because I loved skyscrapers growing up too. So like I, that, was, that was like a huge <laughs> thing that was crushing for me. Whereas everyone else was like, "What are the geopolitical implications?" So I was like, "No, you fucking got rid of one hundred and ten story buildings, you assholes!" Like you know, I was like, "God, damn. You'll, you'll 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 appreciate that." When I was uh, growing up, the Towering Inferno was one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah? I was yeah, obsessed yeah, by. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> didn't they remake one with the Rock skyscraper? Yeah, yeah. It's um. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, that obviously remember Y2K. I remember. I remember like the Bush election. I remember it was like weird because it was like. I remember thinking it was paused. I was like, "Why is this paused?" I didn't know what was going yeah. on, but I would remember. Because um, of the Florida, the Florida thing. The God, yeah, I think he said the fluoride thing. I was like, "No, I wasn't into conspiracies then." <laughs> it was the fluoride thing. No, yeah, the hanging chads. Florida, Florida yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, Florida man. Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah. What? What else? Well, uh, yeah. You Timothy, you wouldn't have been thinking in terms of something like Windows ninety five because you would have been too young to be uh, messing with computers. No, no I, was, I was five. I have some memory. I remember our first computer. I remember playing Solitaire on it. It was a Dell. I remember we got sent home from school because of Columbine, but that was ninety nine. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember it was like, why did they shoot everyone? I just couldn't. Com- I was like, I still can't comprehend it. But even then, I was like. I remember my fifth grade teacher tried to water down 9-11 for us because she didn't want us to freak out, which in hindsight, like I get, you get a bunch of 11 year olds, but in fifth grade, <laughs> but she was like, uh, but I remember the way she just, I remember the other teacher told the students that like uh, planes crashed into the towers, but like she said, she told them what happened, but she said it was over. The attack is over because at that time it was. And so it was like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But I remember my teacher, Miss Woodall, just completely watered it nerfed it down to the point where it was like, incoherent <laughs> she said she said two angry men got in a helicopter and crashed it into the statue of liberty and jumped out beforehand and i remember thinking what the fuck well, that that gets about everything wrong that, but then i went home and i was like what why are the world trade centers on fire because like i said i was into skyscrapers so i was like you didn't say anything about that <laughs> like yeah yeah i remember timothy mcveigh being put to death I think. Do you remember Oklahoma City itself? No, I'm not sure I did. What year was that? Was that 93? Yeah, that was in the early. That may have been a little bit. Uh, I think I might have been too young. My first memory yeah. is like 95. That's like my first 
clear memory of anything. It's like yeah. 95. And of course, Bill Clinton was elected in 92, so that was probably... Remember Monica Lewinsky? Yeah, I remember that. That was like a funny Yeah, well, that thing. was toward the end of his... Yeah, uh, that his was a funny thing, yeah. Term. I remember the rise of Slim Shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, so, uh, Columbine, yeah. Yeah, well... I used to go out and uh, look for people uh, who had thrown television sets away, and I would collect them from the side of the road and uh, take them home, and I would sell. That's where I got a lot of these vacuum tubes oh, from. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of people would do that and then use them to build amateur radio rigs or, or uh, whatever. I can tell you that, uh, the power transformers from those things would have like a 400-volt coil on them. and. Uh, even oming them out with a voltmeter, if you if you made the mistake of letting the voltmeter separate while your finger was still touching the wire on the transformer, when you uh, released it, it would shock you because that was that that transformer had so much inductance. Uh, and so you, you learn to be careful about little things like that. My mom never did understand. She was always freaking out that I would electrocute myself or something. And, you know, dad would be trying to pass, you know, mollify her about that. Um, but you know, I remember how things gradually changed. I had a television set when, uh, when it was a fairly new thing for a teenager to have a, their own TV set. It was a 12-inch black and white because color sets were, like, expensive. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, and it was a hybrid. It actually had tra transistors and vacuum tubes. Nice so it had tra it had transistors for the low power stuff, but it had vacuum tubes for the power drivers for the CRT stuff and the, the audio output. And so you still had the screws on the back and you could remove the back and you'd have the tubes that you would take to K and B and test them or, yeah, I just revealed where I lived there. Um, no. New, New, New Orleans lore. We we used to have a pharmacy chain called Cats and Cats and Bestoffs K and B. They had a yeah. purple logo, and everybody in New Orleans knew them. And in the eighties, they built the second span of the Crescent, what they call the Crescent City Connection. But to me, it's always going to be the Greater New Orleans Mississippi River Bridge. Uh, if you look at uh, at some period. Uh, things like movies movies and stuff from the time you'll see air shots of new orleans where the second bridge is half completed Jeez. and that like nails the time frame of the movie but anyway so this being a typical government project right the they had federal funding they built the bridge across the river and they finished the bridge across the river before they realized well it's not very useful without approaches those those are the state's problems so for a few years, we had this bridge across the river that just ended on either side of the river, and there was nothing leading up to it. So you couldn't, like, actually get a vehicle up to it or anything. <laughs> and when and when they laid out the approaches uh, through downtown New Orleans, one of them went right through the middle of the Katz and Bestoff pharmacy chain's office building. And the... The, the K&B management were just like, can't you find something else? And they were like, look, no, man. The engineers have decided this is the optimum route. And they actually sold out rather than deal with this. So they they just sold the whole thing to CVS and retired in Jamaica or whatever. Um, Not but a bad move. That, 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 that was one of those things that uh, 
that was quintessentially New Orleans that uh, ain't there no ain't there no more. Um, yeah, it, it's- there's there's a lo- in fact there's a local band uh, that has a, a a little folk song called "Ain't There No More." Dare D E R E. Yeah, and and it's just all of the stuff that used to exist in New Orleans that doesn't. It's you know cats and feathers. It was yeah, like yeah. ain't there no more. <laughs> ain't, there, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, it's. I remember going in 2013 to interview December 2013 to interview at Tulane Medical School, and I remember walking by on like campus to, like one of the like the hospital. They're like built a new hospital, but it was like the hospital that was like completely fucked by Katrina. And I remember in 2013, you could still see just there's like there's like the literal high water mark on it. Oh yeah. I remember seeing that and I was like, that's, that's eerie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and after the storm, it was really, uh, something else. In fact, uh, if you ever look up Cam Riley's podcast interview, which I did, uh, in 2006, uh, of course, the whole city was still a wreck at that point. And, you know, toward the end of the, the interview, he asked me about New Orleans. And I was just like, I was stunned. I was still, yeah. you know, it's like, I never thought I would live to see this happen to a major American city. Yeah. Uh, with the that refugees gathering, the media, you know, we call them the neutral ground, the medians of the streets. And, yeah. But caravans of buses picking up homeless people from the the Bruins stadium and all this i mean it's like you got to be freaking kidding me it's like a third world country it was and, yeah it was nuts and even even today the scars are still there uh, but uh i grew up in the suburbs so it's, it's it's funny because my parents came here from mississippi and so I didn't really have like the, the the New Orleans background. That's why I don't like have a classic New Orleans accent yeah. and, and all that. So we would go like to the suburban Chalmette Mardi Gras, where we'd see the truck parade. We didn't go downtown to the you know the, that stuff and all. Uh, but it's still New Orleans, and the suburb where I grew up had seven and a half feet of water. Uh, so, and it was there for three weeks. So as soon as it was safe and the it was open again, I went back to see the house where I'd grown up, uh, which was across the street from a Catholic church and down the street from a middle school and a and a, and a an elementary school, and I was so I was there in this neighborhood that was completely dead. Every blade of grass was brown. Every tree and shrub was brown. It was completely silent. And I was standing in front of this house where I grew up, and there was a guy about four blocks away who was jacking up a car to tow it, and I could hear everything he was doing. That's weird. That's eerie. It was that quiet. Um, And... To this day, in some parts of the city, there are still houses that are still boarded up, that there are still vacant lots uh, and fields of vacant lots. Um, and part of it, part of it is, I, I would have been in favor, frankly, that neighborhood where I grew up was a mistake. Um, what happened there is, if you if you drive out from the middle of New Orleans, if you if you're in the central business district or the French Quarter, this 
was where the city was sited because it's the high land. So it would flood, but not that often. And for the for the most part, the French Quarter is actually above sea level. Not very much, but it's it's on an old river levee, so it, it's it's the high ground. That's why they put the city there. And as the city grew outward, the land got lower and lower. And you can see the houses getting higher and higher as they get further from the middle of the city because what they wanted was for that flood that they knew was going to come to not inundate the living areas of the house. So they built them a few feet above ground until you get to a point where they're actually building them above like an entire disposable uh, ground floor, mm-hmm. which they would use for storage and expendable stuff. And you would have like a six or eight foot staircase to climb oh, yeah. to get into the house. There are some around here in Maryland. There are some like that where it looks like the whole thing is almost just like on stilts. Yeah. And then you reach a certain point all the way around the town and they go back to just being a couple feet above street level. And that was 1910. That's when they built the pumping system. Oh, Jesus. And so at that point, they figured we have what was at the time considered one of the wonders of the world, the, the, the most aggre- you know, aggressive drainage system ever built. And in a lot of senses, it still is. Um, but at that point, people figured we don't have to build eight feet in the air anymore because we have a drainage system. We can just build high enough so that the street flooding and, the t- you know, when we have a powerful rainstorm won't get us. But we don't have to worry about the Gulf of Mexico getting in our front uh, in our front door anymore. And so that from there out for more miles, it's all these houses that are about as high off the ground as this desk. Uh you know, just high enough so that if the street floods, you know, you don't get it into the house. And then after World War II, a couple of developers came in and decided to build some slab on grade subdivisions, which really, if you want to go back and say, here's somebody that was too stupid to live and you should just go back and kill them when they were a baby. The people who decided to build slab on grade houses in New Orleans should be near the top of the list. And I grew up in one of those houses. Yeah, so they, they, they built a few of those and nothing bad happened You because know, this was in the 50s. And so they built a few more further out and lower down and on and on and la-di-da. So anyway, the house that I grew up in, that, that house, it did flood when Hurricane Betsy came through. Mm-hmm. But, but it only had three feet of water. And the water didn't hang around because the drainage system did work. They were able to get the water out. Um, and so it didn't linger. And they just patched up the sheetrock and replaced the furniture. And by the time my parents bought the house a couple of years later, you couldn't tell that it had been through anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, karma's going to get you one day, you know, eventually. And so Katrina come al- came along. And the problem that Katrina caused was – all these wonderful pumps are in the middle of town. Now, the reason they're in the middle of town is that it wasn't the middle of town when they were built. Mm-hmm. It was the edge of town. Mm-hmm. But they kept building the town around them, outward. So that meant the pumps had to pump the water into canals to take the water to Lake Pontchartrain. Well, it was those canals that breached in Katrina. Okay. So we have these wonderful pumps that could pump the water in circles. 
because you would pump it into the canal and it would go through the breach in the canal and come back and you could pump it again if you wanted to but before until they could fix the canals you couldn't pump the water out of the bowl uh. and so that was yeah you know, that was when they finally realized we need to spend some money and build some pumps that are actually at the new edge of town at the lake itself and we've got a, a project that pumps into the river now and near where i work uh but yeah you know, it was like they sat on their hands you know those pumps are so old that they don't use 60 cycle power they use 25 cycle power because when they were built in 1910 the electric grid hadn't been standardized yet so so to this day they need special generating stations to generate the power that the new orleans drainage system needs for those pumps to operate and of course when one of those generators goes out so does the pump that they're feeding and that's been a problem a few times jesus so so yeah it's, it's like it's this combination of just amazing tech that was so far ahead of its time it's amazing and then just stupid bonehead shit yeah that yeah anybody who thought about it for more than five minutes should be able to realize is a really bad idea so i was in favor of just bulldozing everything east of the industrial canal and letting the swamp take it back but of course they didn't have the political will to do that because it would have been there were too many property owners that wanted to reclaim their property and it was like why you you, know, you, you got a neighborhood that's going to have 40 percent residency and you know 30 percent vacant lots and 30 percent boarded up houses you wants to live there uh, old people that don't give a shit and they're like this is my home fuck off yeah uh well it's funny i actually ran into the people who were living in my house uh about six months later uh i was going to show one of my coworkers where i grew up and we pulled up and there was a fema trailer in front of it and oh, we're like Jesus. in fact there were two fema trailers and I was like what the hell there are people living in this house and so i did told Lonnie to stop the truck. I want to find out what's going on here because there was very little else going on. There was, you know, but but that house, that particular house where I grew up had somebody living in FEMA trailers in front of it. And it was a young couple that uh, it, they they had owned, they bought the house. They were like a couple owners past my parents after they sold it. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we wanted to move to someplace like Laplace, which was a little higher, better protected, but they just didn't have the money. The, the land like that had gotten too dear in value and they figured the best their best shot was to take the money from the government and fix the old place back up and hope hope for the best you know yeah. the, um which actually turned out to be a good bet uh, because it hasn't flooded again in 15 years so uh i guess they got their money out of that yeah that's not a bet i would have made but <sighs> that's why you got to go live in the international space station um yeah I actually live in Mandeville, which if, if you look at a map of New Orleans, of, of southern Louisiana, you'll see Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi River. And New Orleans is actually sandwiched between those two, you know, the, the, the river and the lake. But if you're looking at a road map, you'll see a little line drawn right across the middle of Lake Pontchartrain in its widest point. Because this is Louisiana and that's how we roll. That's the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. Would have been 10 miles shorter if they built it five miles to the left to right, but we built it right across the widest part of the lake, 24 miles long, and I commute across it to get to work. <laughs> From the middle of the bridge, you can't see land. 
That's like um, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, I think, in Maryland. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know how long, it, but I mean, it's, there's a point where you're driving across and you feel like you're just driving into the ocean. You just look behind yeah. you. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> 20, 20 minutes to get across the whole thing. 20 minutes yeah. doing like 70. <laughs> you're just like mm-hmm. looking around, just yeah. like. Yeah, the causeway is 24 miles. It's 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 classed as the longest bridge across open water in the world. Jesus. Because there there are longer bridges uh, that are not interrupted, but all of them come closer to land okay. than their endpoints at some point. Whereas at the causeway, when you're in the middle of the causeway, you are 12 miles from land. Fuck the, that. There is no point of Fuck land closer that. to you than the endpoints of the bridge. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been driving across it since 1992. Jesus, that sounds terrifying. You get, yeah, it's, you get used to it. Well, the nice thing about it, though, it's, it, the terrifying thing about it, besides being long, is it doesn't have a shoulder. It's 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 two parallel bridges, a northbound and a southbound. Each has two lanes. Yeah, same with and the Chesapeake. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no shoulder. But what's nice about it is there's also no on or off ramps. So the people who commute get the drill. They, if, 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 if you mess up the commuters, the causeway cops find your ass and correct you. Oh, but yeah. most, most of the people who drive across it every day aren't maniacs. They get in line. They, 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 they just, you put the car on autopilot, have a beer, whatever, take the, you know, you know take the car off of, off of cruise control when you get to the end of the bridge. But you don't have all these people. I used to have a much shorter commute on Interstate 10, and it was like vroom, 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 constantly people weaving in and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People going fast and people going slow, and it's like, oh my God, you're slamming the brakes, and there's a traffic jam, and there's an accident, and all this like, and that. Every once in a while, something bad happens, and the bridge clogs up, and you don't get to work till 10 o'clock. But for the most part, 99% of the time, it's just uneventful. Yeah, that's how they, the Chesapeake Bay is. There's like a there's the speed limit, but it's the speed limit is also the minimum speed limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no shoulder, there's no passing. It's like yeah, it's yeah, it's like you are now on the bridge. You are now going this speed right. until you get off. <laughs> Do not stop. Yeah, and 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 if you have a flat tire, you have to drive on it until you get to the next crossover where you can pull out of the traffic lane. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. When the causeway cop comes behind you, they will tell you to put the car in gear and drive on your flat tire until yeah. you get yeah. to the crossover. Yeah, yeah it is, that is true. Um, Roger, let's wrap this bitch up. I need to go make some dinner. My tummy's grumbling. But um, okay. I'll email you, dude. I'm definitely down for another one. If you, I like chatting with you, man. I like just going in. Sure. Fuck yeah, man. I love hey. – there's, no, there's hey. no rules to this podcast. What? I'll do a little show. Actually, I have you know, on the vacuum tube thing – uh, I have a uh, a radio that I built uh, from a set of plans that were published in Boy's Life in 1929 using a Model 30 vacuum tube. The one that I have was manufactured in 1927, and I built this thing about 14 years ago uh, according to these these plans using a 90-year-old vacuum tube, and it works. Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we're doing next episode. We're doing show and tell. <laughs> It's a plan. Roger Williams, author of The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. And he has also watched the movie um, Contact. So. Yeah, one of the three other people. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I also saw the opening credits. 
That was that was a that was a coup d'etat. You won that one. I will give you I will give you the chips. You won today. Yeah. Well, well, you know they were having a special that year because it was also the final scene of Men in Black. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. Those came out within like six months of one another. And it was like, oh, yeah, they're having a a special this year on Deep Space Zooms. I was about to say, yeah, the stock footage, it has to go. It's all, it's everything must go. Stock footage, got to go. Yeah. It's, yeah, you can always tell certain things. It's like, oh, yeah, you could tell that was a hot thing at the time, right? It's, yeah. Computer animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the stock sounds too. Yeah. It's, you can always tell. That's what me and my friends were joking. I think we were watching like Die Hard or whatever. And we were laughing. We we're like, you can always tell who America's enemy is at the time of the making of a movie because you just got to look at the na- the nationality and skin color of the enemy. Right now, it's all like it's all Ar- well. Now it's moving more into Chinese. It was Arabs for a while. If you go back into the eighties, it's all fucking Far East guys. Like hello, like it's you can always tell who America's enemy is. Yeah, <laughs> just like paint them as that. Like that's weird. The bad guy is blonde hair, blue eyed. Well, yeah, we were at war with him, and it's like, oh damn, okay. But nowadays, it's like, how come they're all Arabs? Hmm, I don't know. Now they're all Chinese. Eventually, the power structure is going to slip up, and it's going to be like, how come all the bad guys are Jamaican this year? And it's going to be like they flipped up the script. Like, oh no, the false flag hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Oh no, uh, you guys got the script early. Damn it, who released it? (laughs) Roger Williams. I'll email you a. Let me start processing this, and I'll email you, and I'll email you tonight, and let's set up the next one. Okay. All right, buddy. Peace. Thank you for doing it, my man. Stay safe. Peace. Okay.